When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I am Menes, and I am in a fantastic mood because England lost the series against India overnight. So I've woken up with a pep in my step after an English loss, and I've got a special guest today, a special co-host. I've been commentating with Alex Ross on the New South Wales cricket games throughout the summer. But Alex is just back from playing in the Bangladesh Premier League. You would have certainly seen him in in green for the Sydney Thunder over the season. Alex, welcome to the show for the very first time. How are you? Thank you very much, Menas. Yeah, I'm great. Thanks, mate. I've just uh, got over the jet lag. It actually took about a week to get over it. But uh, the pool down here at Maroubra has uh, kept me in fighting shape. So, yeah, excited to be back in Sydney. Yeah, you've been in good form. I was lucky enough to see you playing a lot for the Thunder and you were hitting the ball well. Then I saw you went over to Bangladesh and scored quite a few runs for Dhaka in the Bangladesh Premier League, our fourth leading run scorer. Um, t- tell me, you know, while these teams, while you've been doing well, the teams you've been in have been struggling. You know, what's that like when you're in good form but the teams are, are not doing so well? Uh, I mean, yeah, it's it can be difficult. Um especially as you, you keep trying to lift your team uh, over the line because winning is obviously the most important. It's nice to be in good form personally. I guess um, the uh, targeting of T20 cricket for me um, has probably allowed that skill set to continue to develop um, when I'm not focused on you know eight months a year of playing Red Bull. So, um, yeah, I feel like I'm hitting the ball well. But, uh, yeah, it comes with its challenges if the team is, uh, is struggling to perform for sure. Yeah, indeed, um the Thunder with the Wooden Spooners and the Dacca. What are the Dacca team with the Wooden Spooners? Um, so it's been rough. The teams have been rough, but you've been hitting the ball well. Um, yeah, my uh, my kitchen drawer is full, Menace, uh, with all the spoons <laughs> in there. Uh, look, the, the Thunder had made a specialty of that before you got the green shirt on, <laughs> so, so don't worry. I don't think it's anything to do with you. Um, but you are joining me to go through all the cricket news. Tell me, did you did you watch much of uh, India v England? Yeah, I, I managed to get bits and pieces on the TV. Uh, I love watching the tests in India. I like obviously as a player personally facing spin and, and seeing how people go about it. It's such a different challenge for players, um, especially from the Western countries. So um, to see England go over there and, and battle their way through it. But I thought they were pretty impressive too, um, especially with their their young, inexperienced spinners uh, with the ball in hand. They were they were more than a challenge for India. So uh, it was a great test series. And I, as I said, I really actually enjoy watching. There's always something happening every single ball. So um, And Stokes' captaincy as well is, is exciting to watch. So um, great to see India get over the line again. I'm with you. I'd rather rather see them win <laughs> than the, the English. But, uh, yeah, great series to watch. 
Yeah, I thought it was a very good series. I've been listening to some of the the English cricket podcasts react to it, and they're they're really putting themselves in a pretzel trying to put a a positive spin on this for the English team. And and I think you're right that they they have shown some really good signs on it during the series, England. But but I you know I think Australia showed really good signs when we were in India last year at times. And I think actually if you, if you look at this. English team, they probably haven't taken their opportunities during the series. They've let some good positions slip in test matches, which does happen up against India at home. But I think actually they 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 probably could be heading into this fifth test with the series to all if they'd just been a little bit more sensible at times, a little bit like during the Ashes. They get a little bit carried away with their baseball approach and sometimes maybe they could just rein it back a bit. Yeah, that's the difficulty of this, I guess, this new baseball approach that you said. You have to kind of live and die by the sword. You're going to see some dismissals and, and periods of play where it doesn't go their way. And um, the the difficulty is if you decide to rein it back, where's the line, um, mm. I guess? And and then if you lose trust and lose faith in, in the way it works, um, then you can basically take out this 18 months of, of um, results they've had uh, because that's the way they've, they've, they have been playing. So... Yes and no. Yes and no. I, I agree. There's times where you just go, "What? What is going on there?" But at the same time, if you, um, I guess, um, suffocate that freedom, uh, that will then lead to the next five guys who didn't get out playing that way, also not going in that in that direction. So, um, yeah, it's a difficult one, and and um, no doubt that Brendan McCullum and Ben Stokes are the, the ones to be leading that. Are um, you know, you have to be really strong personalities because you have to actually stick up to the media. You have to stick up for your players when, you know, things don't go perfect. Um, I think it was a, a pretty serviceable series for them. It's it's tough work to go over there in India. And uh, to be honest, I, I'm a, a little bit surprised India keep producing these wickets that are really challenging, even for their, their own players. I think if the wickets were um, slightly flatter and just more, you know, four and five day test matches and, and India can probably still get the upper hand, um, whereas... Producing these poor wickets actually brings the other teams into it a little bit because the toss becomes extremely important, um, and then you know they're, they're really talented players can't go about their business um, on a decent wicket. Yeah, and it does bring in the English spinners like Tom Hartley and Shoaib Bashir. It does make them um, you know seem a bit better than they are because the wickets are giving them a lot of assistance. Oh, yeah, I just feel that maybe part of England's attitude during the Ashes has come back to bite them in this series because I think if they'd been a little bit more honest with themselves in reflecting on the Ashes, they they would admit that they royally stuffed up a couple of opportunities there and maybe if they'd learnt from them when they were in positions of dominance in this series, they might have just been able to sort of navigate, as you say, that, that difficulty between being stifled and playing with freedom. Um, because there is a middle ground. Like you can play with freedom and still be sensible. Like it doesn't have to be all bang, bang, bang. Yeah, I mean, I, this is the the argument we could, we'd have for ages. But I think that's that's part of the the thing, isn't it? Like teams have tried to do that forever. You know, you've tried to have ultimate freedom and then also at the same time play responsibly. Um, and that's the old, you know, that the one the frustrating one from coaches sometimes to hear like. I will go and hit every ball for six, but also don't get out. You know, there, there is an element of risk in this mm. situation too. So there are times that we, you will get out and you say, oh, well, we're in head of the game or, you know, we were in this position, but we chose to declare or whatever the decision might be. But 
that that effectively becomes your brand the way that you play mm. so um i don't love the excuse that's just the way i play because that's that's irresponsible to the situation um but having a brand i think is important to actually be able to focus your energy like that you can then pick teams on it you can um y- your team has direction so yeah it's a difficult one to sort of put your finger on because you can't necessarily do both exactly how mm. everyone would like it or else you probably win every game you ever played in because you'd score <laughs> 600 in a day and you'd be three down True, but uh, I just feel like, and you, you know, you 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 played a lot of first class cricket. You know, there's those players, and there is a skill of just reading the game and knowing, sort of having a feel for it about, you know, what what really is needed here. And sometimes I think they've maybe just got haven't read that that part too well. Um, but look, still they they went toe to toe with India um, for, for much of the series, and that unfortunately has to be commended yeah yeah i think so i think you know looking at the series overall you probably say it's a moral victory menace um <laughs> they've, they've, they've probably they've probably done better than people would think i i, I believe in, in the situation and and in the conditions over there and and given the baseball you know you can't say it's it's been perfect over there but it's certainly mm. again challenged another world-class team in their own conditions so um i still like the way they're going about it and i think ben duckett said in one of his interviews after the game that you know i think he said it maybe a, a fraction arrogantly but they are changing the game you know there's players coming out now from india that are scoring at a really fast rate you know we saw safros khan um you know get after the bowling too so you know the game is changing and i think they're at the forefront of it um but as I said, there's going to be errors along the way um, with anything you do. If you look at any entrepreneur in any line of business, you know they're going to make mistakes, but they're also going to drive the way that we move forward as a generation. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Uh, Adam Gilchrist took some umbrage with those comments from Ben Duckett in his podcast mm. last, last week, Rossi, because Gilchrist said um, he, he batted pretty aggressively when he was playing, and it was long before baseball. But but one thing that's certain is. They get a lot of moral victories, England, but they haven't got a lot of series victories. Victories <laughs> recently, you know, they drew the Ashes, they drew against the Kiwis. Now they've lost this series, so they've got a lot of moral victories, but not a lot of victories on the scorecard. Which, yeah, well, I mean, but the only thing is compare that to what two years ago, and they were really faltering and, and, and struggling as a team. To be honest, they couldn't win any series, let alone be challenging. Whereas I think now at least teams were. Uh, slightly afraid and need to really plan and, and and prepare well for them as a team. I know the Australians going over, um, I'm sure we'll see it in this upcoming documentary, the, the new Ashes series come out, but mm. um, as to how much planning has to go into the way you play against them. And we saw the Australians take a, you know, not a backward step, but Australian teams of old would have gone toe-to-toe and been argy-bargy, whereas the Australians in England this year felt like they almost just wanted to um, soak up all the pressure, soak up all the run scoring and just let them do their thing and then continue to drive the game forward in the way that they wanted to rather than try and go, you know, no-to-nose or toe-to-toe with the English. So, you know, it's changing the game and I think and, and it's just not going to be perfect, you know, straight away. I just I just wish we could get the, the, the same English cricket that we're getting at the moment, but without the arrogance and the hubris <laughs> and the, this this sort of constant uh, message of changing the game and blah blah blah. Anyway, yep. in India win, they they retain the trophy. There's a bit of a break now until the last test. Uh, I think in ten days, <coughs> the last test starts in Durham Masala. 
and I would love to see India win that one and run away with a 4-1 series win. But let's get stay a bit closer to home now. Since our last podcast, Australia have played the Kiwis in the T20 series, three matches. They retained the, traffle, the Chapel Hadley Trophy and uh, really the highlight was the first game. New Zealand made three for 215. Then Australia chased it down off the last ball, four for 216. Tim David hit a four off the last ball to win the game. He was 31 not out of just 10 deliveries. Mitchell Marsh was 72 not out of 44 deliveries. At one stage, Australia needed 32 off just nine deliveries to win the game. And then David went 4-6-6 six, six to end the 19th over. And then he went 6-2-4 to end the 20th over and win the game. That was some performance from Tim David. And the first time I've really seen him in Australian colours put on a match-winning performance like that. What did you think of it? Oh, seriously, seriously, seriously impressive. Um, I think, again, I, I saw a couple of his interviews after the game and, you know, he's he's been probably in close to 30 or 40 situations like that now across his career, across all franchise cricket, which, again, it's a different kind of pressure to playing for Australia. I'm sure the, that they do feel different. You know, one, he's playing for a team that's paid, you know, one and a half million US dollars for him, whereas the other one, he's playing for his country and his pride and his family and and those kind of things. So the pressures are different, but, um, you know, the amount of experience he's got in that role in T20 cricket now across the world, um, I'd have him in my team every day of the week. And it was great to see him put that performance on the ball, but uh, it's no real surprise um, to players that have played against him or with him that, that he's got that in the bag. And um, he could be really potent for Australia uh, in this upcoming T20 World Cup. And, and what I thought really was evident with that last ball to hit the boundary to win, it wasn't a bad delivery. It was kind of in the block hole. He didn't get a great swing on it, but he's such a huge guy and he hits it with such power. It just flew off the bat. And Glenn Phillips at mid-wicket, who didn't have to move far, had no chance of stopping it. I mean, he, he's just... He's got that ability to just find the boundary. Yeah, well, I think, you again, you'll see these guys that are sort of moulding their game more towards the T20 form of cricket. You know, Tim David might not, I don't say never, but might not ever play shield cricket um, and might not even play club red ball cricket for his, for his back in his home state in WA. So the way that he's changing his technique, you know, if you, if you look really closely, he's opening up the bat face. Um, so he's, he's basically changing the grip that you teach, you know, your kids coming through at three, four, five years of age um, to allow him to be able to swing like that. Um, the, the swing that he put on that ball was was really good. I mean, the ball was reversing slightly to be able to find that gap um, with power enough to beat Glenn Phillips, who's probably one of the fastest fielders in the world. Um, yeah, really, really impressive. But you see guys doing that a lot now. You know, Dan Christian, at the, towards the end of his career, was opening up the bat face. Um, Glenn Maxwell, you'll see doing it too. So... It doesn't necessarily lead itself towards red ball cricket and be able to pr- pr- um, uh, produce a straight bat face, uh, but what it does is it gives you a lot of power um, in the swinging yard. Nice. Is that what you've started doing? Yeah, it's definitely an option. Uh, I, I don't like to start with it at the start of my innings um, just because I feel like it leaves me vulnerable on the stumps, um, which is obviously a, a, a big concern for getting out early. Um, mm. But certainly at the end, uh, at the end of the innings, I sort of just start slightly opening it up. But it gives you access to backward point. You can hit sixes over point. And then you can sort of, if you think about the way that the, the face is open, you can then swing from out to in from sort of a second, third slip line. 
um, with power all the way across um, towards that wide mid wicket um, sort of sort of range, and that allows you a lot of power, and you know that comes from the golf and baseball sort of setup as well. Wow, love it, love that. Mm. Um, so Australia won that first game. Then the the second game they won it in a canter. Australia was all out for one seventy four. Travis Head top scored with forty five of twenty two. The big news was David Warner missed this game and the last game. Steve Smith came in. He made 11 off seven in that second game. New Zealand all out 102. Adam Zampa with four for 34. The most surprising thing was Pat Cummins getting player of the match. He's one for 19 and 28 off 22 deliveries. He was presented the player of the match award and looked stunned. Um, And then in the third game, it was a 10-10. It was Australia's 100th T20 international win. Australia made four for 118. Matt Short made 27 off just 11 deliveries. New Zealand were three for 98 in reply. Very much a rain-shortened game. Steve Smith made four off three, opening the batting. So, I mean, a couple of things. I mean, again... Rossi, we've seen it. The Kiwis, when they come up against the Aussies, they go missing. I don't, I don't know what happens. They, they, you know, they, they seem to do well when we're watching them play against other nations, but against the Australians, again, a three-nil series loss. They lose the tra- Chapel Hadley Trophy. They just seem to, I don't know, get stage fright against the Aussies. I was. Um, I lived in New Zealand for nine years. I lived in Christchurch. Um, I was there with my my parents, and uh, from the age of I think it was six to fifteen. And I definitely know that when you were there, Australia has this big brother um, kind of mentality, I guess. Uh, which mm. I don't want to go as far to say we always smash them, but it, it feels like <laughs> um, there's definitely that older brother thing. Like we'll bat first, we'll do this, and we'll we'll sort of um, dictate the way the game goes. I don't know how much of that continues to, to to go into the international stage for for women's and men's cricket. But, um, yeah, it feels like that could potentially be a reason that, um, yeah, Australia feel like they have this this dominance over the Kiwis. But uh, the Test Series coming up will give them another chance and um, they'll be slightly different wickets to what the Australians are, are probably used to in Test crickets in, in Australia. So, um, yeah, I, I can't wait to see that series, actually. And um, the Kiwis are always good to watch. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. I'd like to see the best of them against us. Um, but from that T20 series, I thought Nathan Ellis put a very good case forward. He only bowled five overs, but his economy was under six. Um, have you faced Ellis much in T20 cricket? He, he seems to be a sort of different proposition to some of the other quicks. Yeah, he's a bit of a banker for me, Nathan Ellis. I don't think he's necessarily going to go and win you games um, in terms of a, you know, a Spencer Johnson might run through a team and bowl and take four wickets in his first two overs and, and kill the game off. Um, but Nathan Ellis, you can rely on him. He can always do a job. Um, he bowls a really good Yorker and his slow ball out the back of the hand is uh, is quality. It can float full sometimes, um, but majority of the time it's a really good length. Um, and then because of the pace, he's, he's sort of, He's five kilometres faster than what you can just sit on his slower ball, if that makes sense. So you can't sit there thinking slower ball and react to the fast one because it'll probably beat you for pace. So that's a, a reason why you see a lot of the time um, him bowl guys with a Yorker because so many guys want to sit on the slower ball that he bowls quite a lot. Um, but then his pace is, yeah, 5K, too quick to get the bat down probably um, if, if he does hit the Yorker. So I think he's really, really good. Um, he's really skillful. Um, he's a great guy and he's really, really competitive. So that's why I just see him in that banker role. Like if you, I, I'd like to see him in the World Cup squad and, and just probably not start, but definitely if, if we need him, um, people shouldn't have any qualms about him playing. 
He's a very good alternative to Hazelwood or Cummins. Um, different trajectory, as you say, different skill set. And, you know, the wickets in the USA and the Windies could be slow and low, which plays perfectly into his style of bowling. Um, so so he's a bit quicker than he looks then on, on well, TV. I mean, he looks fairly sharp, but that's interesting that he can – he's probably got a quick arm action. Yeah, I think if you were facing him all on pace, um, he's not as anywhere near as fast as some of the guys around. But as I said, it's the difference between his two paces. Um, so that his slower ball, if you're sitting on it and trying to get a good swing on it, like we were talking about before, um, and then he goes for Yorker and you, you guess wrong, I guess, if, if you like, um, then the ball has enough pace to get through you for sure. Um, which again is why I think you see so many guys get bowled where if they were just thinking on pace, um, his Yorker's... Uh, saying nothing special sounds bad, but in terms of it's, it's just a it's just a Yorkie, you'd probably be able to keep it out. But if you're banking on the slow one, yeah, he's, he'll get through you. Um, where, where do you sit on Steve Smith in Australia's World Cup 15? He's probably just out of the best 11 for Australia's T20 squad at the moment. Would you, if you were picking him, would you put him in your T20 squad? Uh this is the tough one, isn't it? Because, I mean, I'd love to be paid for as a selector's role, but um, I wouldn't like to actually do their job. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's a difficult one. I think on a on wickets that are slightly more challenging, I'd like to see him play and open um, because I think he's so adaptable. He's, he's a great problem solver. He, he can work all those things out. And, and potentially in the West Indies, that might be exactly what they need. I mean, if, if you watch any of the CPL, the scores aren't very high. They're difficult batting wickets. They turn considerably. So... Um, rather than someone just going out at the top and just swinging from the hip and hoping for the best, I think Steve Smith would be a good option. Um, but, you know, on a really flat wicket, I'd like to see us try and score this, you know, 210, 220 that, you know, the really good T20 sides now will do on a good wicket. Um, and not to say that he can't, but I, I think there's people that can probably do it better. Um, uh, Matt Short's one of the, you know, four players in the world, I think, opening the batting. And I was a little disappointed not to see him get an opportunity at the top um, in the last couple of games that he played against uh, who was at the West Indies over here and then mm. in New Zealand as well. So still hasn't got an opportunity at the top, even though he's arguably the best, most informed opening batter in the country in short-form cricket. Yeah, I'm a bit like you. I, I, I like Steve Smith as a problem solver, but 15-player squad is so small. You know, you know, I probably think a Matt Short and a Marcus Stoinis probably edge out Steve Smith from the World Cup squad in the end just to give the team more options. Um, yeah, I mean, I haven't gone through the full 15, but it just, yeah, it depends on makeup. You probably do need a second wicketkeeper in a 15 as well. Um, so you've got Wade and you've got uh, Inglis in there, I guess, yeah. um, which is two more batting spots as well. So, yeah, there's there's not a lot of batting spots left and you need bowlers to, to be on reserve too. So you, you think probably maybe Johnson and Ellis are in that 15. And then, you know, if you want another spinner, you know, the likes of Agar, Green, Sanger. Um, Sanger, you know, those kind of names you could throw out and, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them picked in the 15 going to the Caribbean, which again turns a lot. So you, the, the, the spots are tight and um, if you're not in the first 11, then I think uh, the, the the next four will almost be option players, you know, if we need them on a turning wicket or um, there'll be a reserve player for the bowlers and a reserve for the batters and that might be it. So there you have it. Steve Smith might miss out on the World Cup squad because I do like a top three of Warner, Head and Marsh. That's a lot of power. Warner can drop anchor if needed. Head's your you go-to smasher and he, he doesn't have to do anything different. Whereas 
I just feel like Smith might actually benefit from now not trying to be something he's not. Like the T20 game from when he started to now is a lot more power dominant and he just doesn't have that game. He's still a very good hitter, but it's it's different. Yeah, I think that probably one of the things that they're concerned about is he can't bat um, anywhere but opening in terms of the way that they want to go about the innings. Um, when he opens the fields up and he's really obviously very skillful, great problem solver and, and can sort of dominate that period of the game. But if you bat him at, you know, if he goes, say, as a reserve batter in the T20 squad, um, he may have to bat seven and, and, you know, does he have what Tim David had the other night to finish that game off? Potentially not. Um, so Definitely not. Yeah, again, it's, it's a difficult one, uh, but you, you have to pick 15 and, and you've only got, you know, 15 business class tickets to get there. So um, we'll see what happens. Yeah, maybe Smudge will be in New York in his apartment, living it up rather than out on the field. I don't think he'll be struggling, Smudge, whatever he does. No, I don't think so either. All right, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back to preview the Test Series versus New Zealand. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm Menas. I'm with Thunder star Alex Ross. And uh, the Test Series against New Zealand is about to start. We're recording this on Tuesday. It starts Thursday, Sydney time. They play the first Test in Wellington, and then they play in Christchurch. Alex, I don't know how you probably know a bit more about the conditions than I do, but um, New Zealand wickets tend to have a little bit of movement, be a little bit slower than Australia. But seems to be actually Usman Khawaja was saying today in a press conference that he feels the overhead conditions determine um, how difficult it is is to bat over there. How do you see the conditions? Yeah, well, it's a little bit like um, Hobart. You know, I've played games down in Hobart, Sheffield Shield games, where um, I I remember one very fondly that we bowled first and there was a little bit of cloud cover. Um, The wicket seemed fine and and the ball went absolutely everywhere. I think we might have bowled Tasmania out for 150 or 200 uh, on the first day and it felt like as soon as we went out to bat, um, the clouds all opened and it was bright sunshine for the rest of that day and day two. And our batters put on about 600. Um, Lehman and Ferguson both made double hundreds and the game just seemed completely different. And again, when the innings closed, uh, the clouds came over and the ball swung around for us uh, everywhere. So it, it does sit at a similar spot in the world, Tasmania and New Zealand. So I figure that the way that that works, it's the same in England. Um, you look up, knock down, as, as I'm sure everyone's heard on this podcast plenty of times, and yeah. um, that'll play a big impact in the series. But, yeah, again, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, and and, uh, and I'm sure it'll be a competitive series. If you're New Zealand, you, you might want to leave a little bit of juice in the, the pitches because that, that's it. I mean, it, it'll assist our bowling. That's the, the, the quandary for New Zealand. But, if you know, Australia's top order... Marnus is out of form, Green's at four. You know, if there is a little bit of zip there, maybe New Zealand feel they could capitalise on that. Yeah, I don't think you want to see the Australians on a flat wicket. I think the, pro- the problem with that it becomes, you know, they've, they've got the pace to probably, you know, scare a few with Cummins and, and Stark there. Um, whereas, you know, the, the Kiwis, do they do they have that? They're probably more used to using the, the sideways movement. So anything they can do to try and have a, a, a more sporting wicket, uh, will definitely help them. And their batters are also pretty used to that too. They're really well set up with their techniques. You know, I'm really excited to see uh, Ravindra uh, play over there and obviously um, the likes of Williamson um, and, and those guys, Latham, set up really well um, to that type of bowling too. Yeah, definitely. 
I would say very muted build-up for the Australians because they've got a very settled team at the moment. And although they're coming off a loss to the Windies, there's no, there's no real big issues for the Australian team. I guess if there's any minor issues, it's Marnus at three is coming off a down year and Green at four is still trying to settle in. And, uh, you know, sort of big picture, if you look ahead to the Indians coming next summer, I think, and you spoke about it before, I think the Australian selectors, they'd love Marnus and Green to have good series and just lock down that 3-4 position before going into the winter. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think Marnus has got enough chips in the bank. Um, He could probably average zero for this series again. I don't think he's missing out on selection for the next series. Um, He's personality and the way that he goes about his cricket, I think we'll have times a little bit like this because he's always searching for better and what's, what's different and, and that kind of thing that, um, you know, that, that those you can go through up and down periods like that. I think it, and this is probably the first one that he's really had out in test cricket outside of maybe his first, you know, three or four tests before he really went on this run. Um, after that, that innings at Lords, um, where Joff Archer hit him in the head first mm. ball. Um, maybe that's what he needs. Take one in the helmet again, <laughs> but no, he'll be he'll be fine. He's just sort of going through a stage of of yeah, a, a lean lean patch of scores. I'm sure he'll score 100 and be straight back to it. And then yeah, Green I think is the right option at four. Um, I've got no doubt he's going to be a player for a long time. Um, from what I've seen of him in in first class cricket, yeah, I agree. But uh, you know, I think they'd want to just get some runs on the board in this series because Mana scored 19 runs at six versus the West Indies. So that's, yeah, that's um, incredible, incredible yeah. reading that for a player that's, you know, been so prolific for quite a long time now. That's, um, that's quite amazing. Indeed. And looking at the Kiwis, they actually, they shape up pretty well. Ratchin Ravindra being in the middle order and their frontline spinner does enable them to play four quick. So they, they probably will go in with, um, Tim Southey, well, he's captain, Matt Henry, Willow Rourke, and probably Neil Wagner as the four quicks. So they'll have four quicks, um, Latham at seven, and then the top six with Ratch and Ravindra during the spin. So it's quite a balanced lineup. And uh, Willow Rourke made his debut against South Africa, who took nine wickets in his only test match. So he comes in in good form. Devin Conway is in doubt for the first test with a slight injury. So that could change the top order for New Zealand. But I guess it's a bit like I said before with the T20s. I want this to be a good series, Alex. I want it to be competitive. But I just wonder again if New Zealand will just wilt against the Aussies. Uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's a, You won't be able to answer it until after the second test. But, you know, will they be the plucky Kiwis we see against other teams? You know, or will they be the way Australia always sees them, which is they sort of can't stay with us? So I'm 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 in a quandary because I I I think Australia are vulnerable. I think if if they can get the ball in the right areas, there is opportunity there to, for them to sneak a win. I, I think they've won haven't won a Test match since 2011 against Australia. But again, I just have no confidence that they'll be able to do it. Yeah, I, I think in their conditions, I think it will be competitive, um, to be honest. Okay. And, and like in, in their part of the world, they'll be really proud to put on a show. Um, I think the, you know, maybe talking about the Aussies underbelly of the batting, just just coming off a, a, a difficult summer for Manus and, and Green sort of still getting used to it. Steve Smith at the top, still not necessarily had um, 
you know, well, a lot of experience. You know, he's already averaging more than any opener in Test history or, or something <laughs> along those lines. But um, you know, he has had a lot of experience there and and a fresh opening pair. So um, you know, if if the Kiwis can sort of make headway there, I actually think Travis Head could again have a really good series. I, I think he's really dangerous in tough conditions, in seeming conditions, because he actually, if anything, goes harder. Mm. Um, and, you know, if, if the average for the series for batting is 20 or 30, um, that's where I think he actually becomes a more damaging um, option for for the Australians because he just he goes so unbelievably hard that you can't have three, three slips in a gully. Um, all of a sudden, those guys are out. And if you want to bounce him, New Zealand, you know, is not that big, the, the, the boundary sizes. So uh, his pull shot won't be as... Um, as targeted uh, throughout the series, I think, because you'll be able to hit it for six. So, yeah, I see Travis Head as the real danger for the Kiwis. Well, no surprise there because he's been decisive in so many of the big games last year. I guess the other matchup to watch out for is Neil Wagner versus Steve Smith. Last time the Kiwis toured Australia, they, Wagner just bounced Smith relentlessly. And, you know, if they do that again, I think Smith will take him on. He's been playing the pull shot nicely, so that could be intriguing. Yeah, I think so. And I think that's the way, again, we were talking about the, the England guys and the way they're setting up the game. I think that's the way it's moving these days, just to you know sit there and take it. We've seen that Wagner um, just goes and goes and goes too, whereas normally you can rely on a bowler sort of fading uh, after three or four overs of bounces and you go, right, oh, well, I've got to get through 24 balls here, but Wagner goes for you know 15 overs of bounces, so... Um, you don't sort of have that option. I think Steve Smith will continue to take it on, and as most of the Australians will too, I think. Can't wait for that. So this podcast will be doing daily wraps for each day of the Test match. So tune in. It's a perfect time to do it because first ball is 9 a.m. Sydney time. Just get up, have your coffee, cricket starts, and then play will finish around 4 or 4.30. So I'll be wrapping up each day's play. I've got some special guests lined up to join me. It will be tricky on a couple of days of the test match because I'm commentating on the Sheffield Shield with the Galax Ross will be there too. So I'll be multitasking for two of those days. You might get those wraps a little later because I will have to watch the Sheffield Shield if I'm commentating on it. Um, so, yeah, you'll be getting daily wraps. And I will say, I'll tell you what's annoyed me leading into this series, Alex, is, you know, there's been a little bit of chat around, oh, this should be a three-test series. Yeah, it should be a three-test series. In what world is that ever going to happen? The IPL starts in March. I mean, there's just no time in the cricket calendar. The The Future Tours program has been mandated by the ICC. Three-test series are very difficult to fit in now, which is crazy to say. But, you know, it's pie-in-the-sky thinking because the IPL starts in March. There's no way any of the Kiwi or Aussie players are missing that. So... For them to say, you know, they want it would be great to have a three test series. Yeah, it would be great, but you know, it's it's. I think it's a bit idealistic. Yeah, I can completely agree. Um, I mean, this is probably a podcast for a, for a whole show in itself, Menace. Um, mm. You know, the, the cricket schedule and, and how it all fits in. Uh, I think it's a bit crazy how we can have each team win a game and all of a sudden we we don't have a decider. Um, it seems seems a little bit strange. So, yeah, whether they have to reduce the amount of test series um, so that they can fit in actual, you know, three or five test series, um, 
they can obviously do it when the money is right and when the situation is right because it's always going to be five tests for the Ashes. Um, you yep. know, why don't they turn into a two-test series? Well, because, you know, the money, the fandom. Um, maybe the maybe when the Poms two are here, it should be a two-test series because it's so awful. Yeah. Imagine, imagine trying to uh, to say that, you know, how, how things would, <laughs> would blow up, but then you play the Kiwis and you say two-test series, all right, cool. You know, it just becomes a bit of a token. So, yeah, I, I don't know the answer going forward. It's really where cricket is in, you know, a state of flux at the moment. I think with, with all these T20 franchise leagues, the IPL is obviously extremely important to both players, to the international landscape, um, to to the way that cricket works. Um, you couldn't have said that probably 15 years ago um, to think that a, a T20 competition basically rules the calendar. Um, but but you look at just the recent, the three T20s we had against the Kiwis. So, so, say you put a test there instead. Well, you know, from what I saw, those three games were full houses. I'm sure New Zealand cricket made a lot of money out of those three T20s. So um, I, I, just, I just think, as you say, we... Scheduling is a whole discussion in itself, but I think, you know, you, you only have to have been watching cricket casually to know that um, there is just no time at the moment in the calendar. Yeah, I, I don't think T20s necessarily need to be played internationally until a World Cup. That's probably my my view on it. Um, mm. Leave them to be franchise-based and, you know, you'll know the best players, T20 players in the in your country's side, you know, Australia have picked a side for these T20s. It's basically what you'd pick regardless of if, you know, there'd been any other international T20s throughout the year. Um, you've got Big Bash as a good sample size of players coming through in Australia, but then, you know, you've got your, your guys that play in the IPL. They're almost instant picks. Um, and then enough franchise cricket around the world to know who the, you want your players want to be. So I don't think you need to play T20 internationals. I think they could use it just for franchise cricket. Um, and then you know how much relevance do one days have if it's not in a in a, in a World Cup year? Um, I think we need to test keep Test cricket strong um, and give our players the best opportunity to play Test cricket. Um, what does that mean for the rest of them? Well, maybe you leave the franchises to be franchises and and do it that way, and say, well, Test cricket is international cricket, and and the rest can sort of um, you know you can go and make your money elsewhere. Yeah. They certainly need to do something. It is a bit of a hot topic at the moment, saving Test cricket. All right, well, England is trying to save Test cricket, so we can thank them for that. <laughs> uh, that is international news. Now let's turn our attention to some domestic news. Can't think of a better person to talk about this next news with. So Cricket New South Wales have made an interesting decision. A few years ago, they ditched the general manager positions of the local Big Bash clubs. But now those positions are back. So Rachel Haynes is now the general manager of the Sixers and Trent Copeland is now the general manager of the Thunder. Both of them great people. And I reached out to Cricket New South Wales yesterday to find out, you know, what is the difference now between these positions and the general managers of the past? And I was told that um, Haynes and Copeland will have a bit more say around player rosters, player development. And I think there's a feeling that, Coaches come and go. They come in and out of, of franchise cricket. They might have other jobs, whereas I think they want Haynes and Copeland to be accountable for player development and player rosters. Um, so I guess uh, Copeland's your new general manager, Alex. Well, yeah. I mean, he hasn't yet to sign a contract for me, Menas. I'm actually. Oh, you're out of contract. Yep. So, but yeah, Copeland in. I think it's a really good, um, really good move. Uh, I think. Trying to split the teams um, from you know just a cricket New South Wales 
point of view is a really good move. I know the Thunder won their last title under those circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Sixers obviously been very strong for very long, but they've also had, you know, almost exactly the same side for the last probably five years, minus or or adding a couple of overseas. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's a really good move. I think it's the best way to go forward. You don't end up, you know, becoming this, um, I guess, you know, there's there's criticism of, of Thunder sort of being a development side and then when, when players come through and then we, we can shift into the Sixers or whatever it might be. So, um, yeah, I, I think two teams with two people that want to go and win for their side and the best way that they can do it is actually a better better result. And I think that's, you know, half the reason Creek New South Wales has probably gone back to that mould. Um, they've seen that mm. merging them didn't really work um, and trying to run them under one head. So why don't we go back to the way it was working before? I agree. And I think we've also seen this with the Melbourne clubs, the Stars and the Renegades got rid of their boards. I actually think you need people to fight for your club in this situation. And I think that's what Haynes and Copeland will do. They will fight for the best interests of their clubs. And it's very easy in a big organisation with a lot of admin for things to just get sort of walked over or forgotten about or, or pushed to the side. But as you say, if, if Haynes and Copeland are in the in the firing line, if it's their responsibility and also they're, um, you know, they're accountable for results, I think it's good for the clubs. And I think the Melbourne clubs need to do something the same, um, you know, because Cricket New South Wales is a big organisation and it needs people within them fighting for the best interest to get the results. Um, how, how does it work then? So you're off contract with the Thunder. When is there a, a, is there a, are you allowed to re-sign now or is it a period where you can't? No, it's currently embargo period, so um, it doesn't actually have an end date um, as far as I know. I should know because I'm off contract and basically uh, jobless. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, so I think basically the, when the first ball of the finals bowled uh, of the Big Bash, that's the, when the embargo starts. Uh, so players aren't, aren't allowed to you know, go and sign contracts in that time. Um, and then, yeah, you're trying to work out your positioning in teams and stuff like that. I don't think there's that many players off contract this year. Um, who were who established players throughout the Big Bash. So it'll be interesting to see where everything lands. And, um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's like I said, I think it's a good move for the Thunder, but we'll, we'll see where that all finishes. Hopefully it's mm. a, you know, it can be a good move for me. <laughs> I hope so. Well, News Corp are reporting that Trevor Bayliss is out of contract. Daniel Sams be, might be on the move. There was a, an article that said you might be going back to the Strikers, but uh, you clearly haven't um, signed a deal with them yet. So, um yeah, a lot of changes at the Thunder. Um, what was what? I mean, Trevor Bayliss is a great coach. I mean, you know, did so well for England. What, what was your time with him like? Yeah, I love Trevor. I think he's great. Um, I think he really benefits though from a, a strong player-led group. Um, I know when he was with England, he had um, oh Morgan, who who really wanted to run the show, and and Trev. I think the best thing about Trev is that he can step out of the way. There's no ego about the way that he coaches. It's not. A, it's never been and won't ever be about him, um, which I think is, you know, really really good for a group that's going well um, and is player driven. I think at times, you know, when we were going poorly, that's probably you know where we were lacking a little bit. Um, we've had what three or four different captains across the last three or four years, um, so it's not necessarily a, a settled, established spot, um, and that's nothing against. Um, Chris Green or Jason Sanger or the captains that we've had in the past few years. But, um, yeah, to, to in comparison to someone like Owen Morgan and the English side and the way they want to go about their cricket uh, when he was in charge, that's 
that's probably the difference um, as to why that you know we've had a, had a mm, um, yeah a, a poor year over the last couple of years or last year. Well, we'll be watching the Thunder very closely. Hopefully, you stay because I've enjoyed commentating with you, Rossi. Otherwise. <laughs> Pop up on another stream somewhere. Thank you, Menace. I actually tried to access that article just to have a read of of the movement, but um, I was behind a paywall, so I guess uh, I'll have to get up, get the news through WhatsApp. Yes, well, I can tell you, I read it. Um, that was the main news. Bayless is about of contract. Sam's might be on the move. You might be going back to the strikers. Um, that's all. That's all the main stuff in there. All right. right. Um, I'm glad to hear I'm making the headlines. Indeed, you are. I would um, take Ed Cowan off your Christmas card list. I don't know if you've heard. His oh, very good. But um, <laughs> you take him off your list. That's all I'm saying. Um, yep. he, he always says everything like Ed Cowan. He says, "I'm oh, very good cricketer, but I think it's time for him to go to another club." Um, yeah, well, I, I love Ed, and um, yeah, I've, I've had great conversations with him throughout my whole career. I think he's. Um, yeah, an incredibly wise head. I think he'd be a good good person for someone like uh, Trent Copeland's role. Mm. Um, but he's also in the media and he's entitled to his opinion. I haven't heard what it is, but, um, yeah, I'm sure it's uh, a valid one. Oh, I, oh, I mean, he, was, he just has his own, you know, he does his own cricket podcast and, and I heard him saying um, that he thought you, they should bring in a younger player in your spot and that's what yeah. he said. Um, which, you're only 31. Like, you've mm. got... Very like that's peak of your career. Like, uh, thank you, Menas. Yeah, I'd like to think so. And I'd like to think no, but, but you know, it's not like you're 35, 36, some you know, veteran, you know, Dan Christian, 40. Yeah, no, I, I'd probably to actually in opposition to that argument argue that we don't have enough senior players. Um, so to say we should go for another young one, you know, if, if then your side next year, um, could look quite young, you know, if Sam Constance comes into the team, um, Ollie Davies there, who's you know, had a great couple of years, but um, you know, still a very inexperienced player. Um, you got Matt Jilks, a few of those guys. So it's it's not necessarily the the most experienced of teams. You know, compare that to the Sixers who have continued winning. Mm. Well, you know, they've got four guys, five guys, I think, in the top seven who have played over a hundred games. Um, so yeah. yeah, I tend to argue the point that experience wins uh, more T Twenty games than it doesn't. Absolutely, I think Dan Christian used to say that. You know, old experience and age wins shit. Um, <laughs> all right, let's turn our attention to the WNCL quickly. Tasmania have achieved an incredible feat. They have won a hat trick of titles in the WNCL. They are the second state to achieve that feat. New South Wales did the same thing. They they won a lazy ten straight uh, between two thousand and five six and twenty fourteen fifteen. Uh, in the final, Queensland batted first, made seven for 248. Charlie Knott, 73 off 61. Heather Graham, three for 39. But then Tasmania chased it down with 2.2 overs to spare. Uh, Nicola Carey, 111 not out off 135 deliveries. Heather Graham, 63 off 75 deliveries. Nicola Carey finished as the leading run scorer with 696 runs for the season. Um, I, I just think this is a great story. You know, a lot of these cricketers that have, you know, been not wanted by other states, found a home in Tasmania and have now dominated for three seasons in a row. It's it's quite incredible. And I think they're in that perfect position where they've got a real good core group of players that aren't quite in the Australian side. So they've, they've got a really strong unit. Yeah, impressive that you know everyone's doing everything they can to win every season. So to to go, you know, three beats just uh, very, very, very impressive. And 
obviously the coaching staff and everything they're doing just down there in, in Tasmania is working. Um, I think it's something they did well with the men's program for a long time. They uh, they cherry picked players they wanted uh, when when they didn't have necessarily the homegrown talent from Tasmania um, to to be a really competitive side. So um, all credit to them, and that's that's mm. an incredible result to to go and win three in a row. Absolutely, and they've just announced the. Australian women's squad to go to Bangladesh and Jess Jonathan is not included nor is Heather Graham after her wonderful performance but Sophie Molyneux and Taylor Vlamick come into that squad now I said you just don't see three-peats very often so on Saturday we had a three-peat in the WNCL I headed out to Cricket Central on Sunday for the Marsh Cup final and I saw another three-peat Western Australia won three domestic 50-over competitions in a row. The real drama was for Western Australia actually getting to the the final. Uh, Taylor Swift fans had booked all the flights into Sydney, so the Western Australian players had to fly into Canberra, Melbourne. They had to go everywhere um, to to get to Sydney, and they they all got in very late, um, so they can thank Taylor Swift for that, but it didn't affect them on the field. Maybe it did because I heard a lot of the New South Wales players were at Taylor Swift on Saturday night, and they certainly batted like that because they were all out for 169. Ollie Davies' top score, 51 of 53 deliveries. Joel Paris took four for 21. Ashton Agar, two for 35. Uh, and subpar batting performance from New South Wales. Alex, and I, I sort of I was disappointed. You, you played a lot of cricket with Ollie Davies. He's super talented. And I, I thought he was playing so well. I thought, wow, this could be the real making of him. And then on 51, had a swing at one off Paris, tried to pull a ball that wasn't there, skied it, got out at a bad time. Yeah, what have you seen of Davies up close? Uh, he's a super, super talent. Um, yeah, one of the one of the best players um, I've played with, or one of the most talented players I've played with. Just great hands, um, really, really impressive eye. He just doesn't really move his feet that much, but finds the middle of the bat all the time. Uh, I thought he might really struggle with his technique in red ball cricket, to be perfectly honest. And he's shown this season that he that he hasn't at all. Um, obviously, New South Wales has had a tough year in that format, and they and he's just been a standout. Yeah. Um, so. That's probably the most impressive part about him. I think, you know, he's still a kid. This is the thing you have to kind of give stuff some time, you know, to score 50 in a final is a really good effort. But then you can also be disappointed that he's, you know, got out when, you know, the responsibility on him there is to make a big score and carry his team through to a, a really competitive total. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's a gun player. He just needs to, you know, continue working on his game um, and try and, you know, try and get those results, I guess, a little bit more consistent. Um, but that's the challenge that we all have. Um, and if he was doing that, you know, th- this is sort of the argument I always have is if he was making hundreds all the time, then he wouldn't even be playing for New South Wales. So, um, yeah, while he's learning his craft, um, he'll be looking back at that and, and wishing he could have gone out and made a big hundred for, for them in a final, and that's what people would look at. Yeah, I certainly think he's a future Australian player. Um, so Western Australia would set 170 for the win. At one stage, they were five for 102. So it looked like it could be a close finish. But Hilton Cartwright smashed 73 not out of 80 deliveries. Nick Hobson was 26 not out, and they, they won in just the 34th over. So that is Western Australia's 17th one-day one domestic title. Sorry, They're third in a row. They're f- four out of the last five one-day domestic cups, and five out of the last seven. So they are very, very dominant in this um, form of the game. 
yeah, just a, a great performance from them. Well led by Adam Vogue. Just they, you know, they just made such a habit of winning. They've what won the last two Shields, the last three March One Day Cups. They won back to back Big Bash titles uh, before that. Afterwards, I spoke to Ashton Agar. He was very reflective about his spot in the Australian side now, the fact that the white ball teams have moved away from him as being part of the side and they've gone for Maxwell as their second spinner. He sort of accepts that, but he did say he was told to take his passport to Sydney in case he was needed for the third game. So I guess, you know, I think Ash could see himself in that World Cup squad. Yeah, definitely. Definitely in the conditions uh, over there, he's... He'd be a shout for sure. I know when obviously we played them and he he ran through us um, at uh, Sydney Showground Stadium in the last couple of games of the year, the Big Bash, when mm. it was a really a great wicket for spin, um, but you still have to bowl well. So uh, I think in the, in the Caribbean, he could be a real threat and, and be a good part of the Australian side. Uh, but there's a few options there. I actually think, you know, Chris Green, if you're looking at guys that have played in the CPL, you know, he's probably played 10 games at each of the grounds that they'll play at. Um, you know, you talk about experience. He's probably yeah. the most experienced Caribbean player we've got in Australia. Um, and so do you do you pick someone like Chris Green, who turns the ball the opposite way to Adam Zampa? You know, like that's a that a little bit of a dark horse or a, or a smoky pick, but um, you know that's that wouldn't be the worst in my opinion. Um, like it. And then yeah, that's that the on the WA stuff. I mean, there culture is a bit of a buzzword um, in sport, in business, and in, in everything at the moment, but. Um, there's no doubt they've got something right over there in the West. Um, the way that they their their operation runs, you know, we had Cameron Bancroft this year at the Thunder, and he was quite excited about a break uh, just to see how how you know different cricket um, places run differently. Um, yep. And just I, I I picked his brains on why WA is so strong and and why they're so good. And he said there's just a hell of a lot of trust. Um, everyone trusts each other that that they all want to achieve the same thing. Um, you see that from their contracting, from their, their selection. It doesn't seem like there's ever too many changes. There's never shock news out of WA. Someone's, you know, this, this or that. Um, you know, they're very, very consistent in the way they go about things and they trust and, and love their players and there's no surprise they see the results on the field like they have for the past, God, five to ten years maybe. Oh, yeah, it's incredible. And I asked Cartwright about Vogus, the coach's influence on on the team. And one thing he pointed out was that a lot of the team played with him. There's half the team probably played with Voges at the, to, you know, the back end of his career. So they, he knows their game really well and they have a lot of respect for him having sort of been out in the middle with them. It's a very, it's a very good communication, very much two way communication flow. Anyway, great for them. Uh, now, it was pointed out to me that after New South Wales beat WA in the Marsh One Day Cup after the Big Bash break, I tweeted out, a trophyless season looms for WA. And it was pointed out to me by many WA fans that I tweeted that. And I have to eat humble pie because uh, they won another trophy. Title, they might they might win the shield, they might sneak that and really make me um, have egg on my face. But uh, <laughs> I humbly apologise to the WA fans. Yep, that's not a bet that I'd ever be making, especially at uh, without how successful they've been over that long. Um, but uh, <laughs> hopefully, uh, with the time zone change over there, you were probably asleep by the time they sent those tweets out. Ah, uh, my notifications, notifications are buzzing away. <laughs> Um, the Sheffield Shield gets underway again this weekend. New South Wales hosts South Australia, Tasmania hosts Victoria, and WA 
hosts Queensland. All right, Alex. Well, that's it for Quick and Unfiltered. We're going to wrap it up, though, with a little segment I call Can't Let It Go, which is a little bit of cricket news you just can't let go through to the keeper. Uh, I've got mine teed up. I've got mine teed up, Alex. And it is that the Marsh One Day Domestic Cup final was played at Cricket Central on Sunday instead of the SCG in summer. Now, that was, that's my whole bugbear about this. I know AFL gets control of the SCG, but it was February 25. We hadn't even gone into autumn yet, and the SCG was not made available. And they probably should have played at a better ground than Cricket Central, North Sydney Oval, or, or somewhere where it had some amenities for the fans. But it was a very muted atmosphere at Cricket Central. It's a great facility, but I'm not sure it's – quite ready yet for domestic finals what do you think yeah i mean it would have been a little disappointing to play a final there probably um you work so hard for so long and um i know we played a um, domestic final at uh, north sydney uh, when i was playing for south australia and it was amazing we had a great crowd there it felt you know it was probably only five six thousand people but it felt amazing Mm. Um, so yeah i would have liked to have seen it there we actually played at north sydney on the weekend um for for club cricket here, um, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't necessarily prepared for a, for a one day final because they had the um, they had the women's game there earlier in the week, and then they also had a cinema uh, on the ground uh, on right. Saturday. So I'm assuming um, there's there's it was a, a set of circumstances that allowed them that it was the cricket central was probably the only place to play, and um, even even the mix up with the Taylor Swift's flights and and the accommodation i think wa were out somewhere well north um staying out there so um yeah not not ideal but um yeah unfortunately that's the way it all went down and there's not much you can do about it i think no and i I like cricket central once they build some infrastructure and some get some stands there but you know you had sort of people sort of huddling in the shade and it just it, it felt like country cricket to me and not that that's a bad thing but you could hear the cicadas i mean the the crowd was so small the the loudest thing was the cicadas you know i felt like i was out in the country watching a game um so so that's my um can't let it go i, I my main criticism is the scg should be available in summer for cricket it's february 25th um yeah anything you want to get off your chest alex before we wrap this up absolutely nothing i think we've uh we've spent the, the last hour talking absolute dribble about uh, the cricket world um and no nothing to get off my chest i've got uh, two more weeks left here in, in the regular season for, for club cricket and then uh, a little bit of a break. So everything's off my chest for the season already, Menas, and, and can't wait to see you uh, in the commentary box, mate, for the, for the Shield game coming up. Absolutely, yeah. So I'll see you this weekend out there. So uh, you're playing for Randy Pete. How are they going? Uh, we're on the fringe of the finals, so we need another win and I think we potentially need one more result to go our way. Um, so not a position that... We'd necessarily be thrilled to be in, to be honest. It's a very strong, proud club. So um, I know we're a little bit disappointed to be on the fringes, but uh, it's a long season that we've ended up there. So it's probably where we deserve to be. But, uh, yeah, most of us would like to have to have been well inside that top eight. But uh, yeah, we'll have to see how we go in this last round. Well, good luck. I know you won the T20 title, so Randwick usually win a title most seasons. Uh, well, Alex, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's been great to talk to you on Cricket Unfiltered. Where can the listeners find you? What's your best social media platform? 
Uh, I'm probably most active on uh, Instagram. You probably see photos of uh, my dog bear, and then also just any uh, any business cricket uploads. So uh, at, at Alex Ross forty nine. Um, I'm also on Twitter, but uh, not very active. I'm an active watcher um, and and, uh, and reader. So uh, yeah, that's where you find me. Well, Alex, thanks so much for joining me, listeners. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, I'll be back after the first day of the first test versus New Zealand. This is a Piccolo Podcast production. Sports Social Podcast Network.